You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Better. Happy Father's Day. It's just neat for uh, me to see a lot of uh, the young dads, especially here, being so intentionally invested with your children. It's just awesome to see, and it's so awesome for me to also see a lot of you uh, guys who've kind of graduated, in a sense, from fatherhood. You might be a grandpa now. Uh, you might be uh, have adult children, but watching you, many of you, uh, almost in some senses, just reinvest, and for others, maybe you're estranged with your kids. Maybe fatherhood for you did not go how you intended your, your parenting to go, and uh, there may be a little difficulty with your children right now. That might be in a strange relationship, but to watch so many of you men in here reinvest into the next generations with students or with a mentoring a younger man or with our children's ministry, just to watch you volunteer. It's like you're, it's almost like you're redeeming your parenthood. And I just want to say thank you uh, to those of you who are just stepping up and, and being intentional with your kids to start where you are right now and be more intentional. And so many of you who are, are kind of enjoying parenthood the second time around uh, in a more intentional way than maybe you did the first. And it's just awesome uh, to see. One of the things that we'll uh, talk about this week is blessed are the peacemakers. It's out of Matthew 5, 9. But before we get there, I've, I've been gone a couple weeks. We went away on vacation. Uh, it was our 20th anniversary, and uh, we've got three boys, and uh, our oldest will turn 19 in a couple weeks. But for Heather and I, we finally hit 20 years, and I'm like, how did that happen? Because I still really feel like I'm 25 years old, and I'm not. Um, but uh, it just happened pretty quick. So we went away to Maui, and we got to bodyboard, and we got to snorkel and do all these things. And then we renewed our vows, which is just uh, Heather and I, again, just affirming where we've been and just uh, affirming the vows we made 20 years ago and kind of just looking at the next 20, Lord willing, uh, if he gives us that, that uh, we just are affirming our vows again. So we stood on the beach at sunset uh, up on a little grassy knoll, and stood there, and Zachary, our oldest, officiated, because for a renewal, you know, you don't, it's not like you got to be ordained or anything, so we just stood there, and then uh, we had a best man, Matt and Josh, our other two boys on either side uh, as our best men, and just in front of our children, renewed our vows, because 20 years ago, they weren't here, and uh, so it was fun to be able to celebrate that and do that with them, but it's so good to be back, as good as Maui is, and it's good. Believe me, if you've ever been to Hawaii, it's phenomenal. Uh, just loved our, our uh, vacation time there, but um, it was really kind of a big uh, couple of weeks for us, and we just enjoyed it thoroughly. But so happy to be back with our church family, and I'm so grateful um, that uh, Pastor Jay's out of the hospital, which has been uh, great. Yeah, give it up for that. And uh, uh, back at work and, and uh, hanging in there. And then uh, Ronnie uh, filled in last week, our high school director, and did a great job and appreciate them uh, so much stepping up uh, in our time away. But I want to walk you through today the last of our eight healing choices. Uh, and it really fr comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, which says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And the second half of the verse says this, For they will be called children of God. And what it's saying is that, that the marking factor of those who are authentic children of Jesus, authentic children of Almighty God, are those who are peacemakers. And the word blessed, of course, means happy. And so he's saying this, listen, if you get this attitude, we've talked about eight attitudes that you ought to be. And so that's what the word blessed means, is happy. And so if you get this attitude, one of the fruits it'll produce in your life is some contentedness, some happiness. So he, Jesus, in his, uh, one of his most important sermons, is saying, listen, happy are the peacemakers. Happy 
are the peacemakers, one of the marking factors of that person, individual, being a child of Almighty God. And God wants to make you and me a peacemaker. Now, here's the problem. Most of us in this room want to be a peacekeeper. Now, there's a big difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. See, a peacekeeper is kind of a control freak saying, hey, the rules are going to be my rules, they're going to be my way, and I'm going to be the enforcer. So that's what happens. We get controlling, and then we try to control our kids, and we try to control our spouse. We can try to control our workplace. We try to make the world operate around us. And we want to be peacekeepers and say, if life is going to be peaceful, it's going to be my way, and it's going to be done by my rules. And we get really controlling, and we basically just say, that's what we do. I want to be a peacekeeper in a sense. We almost look at the culture, and we can look around at our family and other people, and it's like we're being watchdogs. In fact, that's what the culture looks at the church and says, the church is that kind of person. But Jesus says, uh-uh. There's a bunch of Pharisees who are the watchdogs of their culture, and they're not happy people. So Jesus is saying in one of his first and most important sermons, he's saying, listen, blessed, happy are the peacemakers, not the peacekeeper. It's the one who makes peace, the one who has received peace from God. And is an ambassador, an extender of peace to other people in our words and in our actions. You make peace with God. And then he wants you to turn around and help you as he helps you work through hurts and habits and hang-ups. He wants you to be able to extend the hope in Jesus to other people. You become a peacemaker. One who offers and says, I've received peace with God. And here's how he's healed my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I want to offer that to you. I want to be a peacekeeper. I want to be a peacemaker because happy are the peacemakers. It's about finding the peace of God in your heart and being able to share that with other people. Once you begin the experience of recovery or restoration or revival or renewal, even spiritual growth in your life, you begin to experience the peace of God. And that peace of God, he wants you to take that and pass it on to other people. He didn't just give it to you so you're a peaceful person. He wants to give it to you so that you become a peacemaker. Say, I found hope in Christ, and I want to extend that opportunity for others to experience peace. So, you know, how do you get over hurts and habits and hang-ups? How do you know when you're recovering? Like, how do you know when, like, recovery is happening in your life? How do you know when recovery may be starting? Uh, you know, I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about that most, well, that really that biggest hurt in your life right now. Think of the most painful thing you're experiencing in life right now. You know, that rejection, that abandonment, that abuse, that betrayal, that hurt from your childhood. How do you know you're recovering? Does just time do it? No. Because it has a way, it's like sticking it in a drawer. And over time, that thing opens back up and out comes our hurt again, right? Saying, here I am. It might be a new season in your life. You might have relocated. You might have moved somewhere else. You might be somewhere else. But guess what? I'm back, and I'm here. How do you know when you and I are recovering? How do you know when it's actually happening? How do we know when we're over it, when we're past it, and we're recovered? Well, it's real simple. The way that you and I know that we're beyond our hurts, our habits, and hang-ups is when we begin to help other people in that exact area. See, a lot of us want to go through and help a lot of people in a lot of other areas. But when we think of our hurts and our habits and our hands, we're like, uh-uh, that's too close. It's too personal. Maybe I've invalidated myself. Maybe for whatever reason, I can't extend hope to people there because I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. And God's saying, no, no, you begin to recover when you begin to help people in that exact area who are struggling 
just like you were in that area. When you take the peace you've received from God and you begin to extend that to people in other areas. And that's difficult for some of us. Some of us vow, God, I will never deal with that issue. That issue is too personal. It's too big. I couldn't ever help somebody in that because it just brings up too much pain for me. Guess what? God loves a good challenge. He's saying, I want you to recover, so I'm going to ask you to deal with that exact area. It's the way he works. It's the way he operates because one of the most simple ways for us to know that we are recovering are when we begin to take the peace we receive from God and we begin to extend it to help others. The proof of recovery is sharing with and starting to help others. That's the proof of recovery when you can put it into words. Now, because we live on a broken planet, pain is a part of life. doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. People experience pain. All the time in our life, we're trying to get around pain, right? We're trying to eat certain things right now that will, if we eat right now then, and correctly now, then maybe later it will save us from some pains. Or we exercise. We exercise now because maybe down the road, if we exercise right now and take care of our bodies now, maybe down the road we'll, we'll be free from certain pains. And we, and we try to give ourselves the right education. If I just get the right education right now, maybe down the road it will open doors of opportunity and, and help me in certain ways so that I don't experience certain pains. And the truth is life is about pain. It happens to the godly and the ungodly. Pain is a part of life. And as much as we try to insulate ourselves from pain, it is a part of life. Coming to Jesus doesn't end our pain. Don't you wish it did? You come to Christ and you're like, that's it. I don't have any more problems. I don't have any more pain. Wouldn't that be great? And if you, you might meet somebody and you seem like, it looks like that was their experience. So I'd suggest to you that maybe that person you're looking at hasn't totally been authentic with you. Maybe that's not a picture of what a real believer, an authentic follower in Jesus Christ is like. Because honesty trumps hiding our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. And so Jesus, coming to Jesus doesn't end our pain, but here's what it does do. It transforms it. See, the experiences you and I experience in life would always be awful and no good and painful and just, you know, a disappointment and a rejection. We would take that and we would say, that's all it's ever going to be. That's all it is. But when you come to Christ, Christ says, guess what? You're right. That is painful. That is hurtful. That rejection was brutal. That was an awful experience. Somebody else sinned against you. But I want to come along and bring some good out of it. Without me, that pain is never transformed. It just remains pain. And most people try to distract themselves in life and, and reach to other killer comforts in life and do all the things that, that we know that we try to do and other people try to do to insulate ourselves from pain. But pain is a part of life. God takes our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, and he says, I'm willing to weave them into the experience of your life so that it will help, one, grow you, but it will also help you be a blessing to other people. I can bring good out of all those things that you've experienced. So in these life's healing choices, we've learned how to tap into God's power through things like forgiveness, a moral inventory, through choosing these eight attitudes that help us begin to heal from what has kept us stuck. And that's so important that we start experiencing this healing and we experience God's peace. And God wants us now to share our experience right now where we are not finished, but right now in process, he wants us to share that with other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says this. Paul was saying, 
God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world, and he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. So the key indication that you are beginning to heal, that you're beginning to recover, is when we start using our painful experiences to help other people. That's the sharing choice. So the last choice of the eight choices is the sharing choice. And there's a principle that comes along with the sharing choice, and it's there in your outline. If you take that out and look at it, it says this. I choose to yield myself to God, to be used to bring the good news to others, both by my example and by my words. What's the key word in there? The key word in there is yield. Why? I choose to yield myself to God, that he would use my hurts, my habits, my hangups, my painful experiences from my past. Oh, that's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we want to protect, we want to shield, we want to hide, we want to pretend like it didn't happen. We want to pretend like we never sinned that way. We want to pretend like nobody else ever sinned that way against us. And, and we maybe have felt some comfort in being a little bit victimized, maybe. And maybe we've held on to that and we've said, God, that's what I'm going to hold on to. And, and, and God's saying, oh, time out. you yield to use that experience to be a blessing to somebody else. To level the playing field. So I choose to yield myself to God to bring the good news, that's about God, to others, both by my example and my words. See, God didn't cause your pain. But since you and I are experiencing pain, God can use our pain to help others. He can work within our painful experiences right now to help someone else. And so by making the sharing choice, we're able to pass along the comfort that we've received from God to somebody else. Why? Because when we're in pain, we need God. We need comfort. But we can begin to take that and say, I can use this where I am right now and what I'm receiving from God right now. But i got to be willing to share it with others, and it's going to be a blessing to them. Paul says this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. He writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and it's a corrective letter. It's saying your church is doing some things out of bounds. Your church is behaving inappropriately. And I'm going to write you some things. And this is what he says. I pray that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will be kind to you and will bless you with peace. The Father is a merciful God who always gives us comfort. He comforts us when we are in trouble so that we can share the same comfort with others in trouble. We share in the terrible sufferings of Christ, but also in the wonderful comfort he gives. What's he saying? We have received comfort from God. We've gone through all this stuff. We wanted to give up. We want to do things wrong. We want to do, but we receive the comfort from God in our times of greatest pain, and we extend that to others. Do you realize my greatest ministry will come out of my greatest pain? Do you realize that your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest pain? And you say, no, I want to hide that greatest pain. I want to hide those insecurities and those faults and those wounds that have happened to me. But your greatest ministry, the greatest thing that God can use is your pain. Do you realize that artists who create oftentimes create the greatest art out of their pain? It's not just joy, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. It's not just that. It's, it's so much of the most intense thing that resonates with humanity. It's through an artist's pain. Some of the best music that comes out comes through the pain of the artist. It's that painful experience that caused the growth and the crying out of emotion that leads to a song that just catches with people. God uses our pain. Your greatest ministry will come out of it. Not out of your strengths or your ability or your self-sufficiency or your talents. And we think, God, I want to use my talents. I want to use what I'm good at. I want to do it. Oh, your greatest ministry 
is going to come out of your pain. My greatest ministry is going to come out of that painful experience in our lives. So what can I share to help others? If you're taking notes today, and I highly encourage you to, there's a number of things. We, number one, need to share with other people how pain got my attention. How pain got my attention. God uses pain for a lot of purposes. In fact, he uses pain to inspect us, kind of to show us what's on the inside. He uses pain to correct us, to teach us, hey, this is the right way to go. He uses pain to perfect us, make us into what he wants us to be. God can use pain to direct us, point us in a different direction. God, most of all, though, uses pain to get our attention, to get our attention. Proverbs 20, verse 30 said, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. See, pain is often a wake-up call, right? Like, you can be comfortable and cruise through life, and guess what? Your disciplines might fall away a little bit. But pain comes in, and suddenly you're like, I need God. I need, some, I need help right now. This is, suddenly it's like, it's like you know, uh, being alert all of a sudden. It's a wake-up call. Why do we rarely change until pain hits? See, if we were smart people, right? If we were all just intelligent people, we would do a bunch of preventative maintenance in our lives. We would do a lot of proactive stuff so that we never experience pain, right? But that's not real life experience. That's not how we operate. It's not how we work. Oftentimes, we have to wait for it to get incredibly painful. And as a pastor who loves you and as a friend, I would encourage you, don't get to rock bottom before you become willing to change. But why do we do that? Why do we wait so often? Why do we stall? Why do we try to handle on our own? Why do we put a greater dependence on ourselves and what we think we can do instead of God and what God can do? I don't know. I don't know why we do that. But here's what I do know. I do know that pain motivates us to change, right? We talked about this before, that we change when the pain exceeds our fear of change. That's it. We're in a situation right now, and we say, God, this is so painful for me right now. And it's like we're, it's like we're an orange, and that orange is getting squeezed. And as it's getting squeezed, some juice, what's on the inside begins to get revealed. And sometimes it shoots out of there, and it gets us in the eye. And we're like, ah, that's painful, you know, because this painful experience begins to reveal what's inside. And sometimes what's on the inside isn't good enough to get us through the pain. And so God's going to say, I want to redirect you. He might make you uncomfortable in the situation you're in right now so that you're willing to change. And he'll let the temperature keep rising and rising and rising until the pain is greater than our fear of change. And as it squeezes us, we begin to see what's on the inside. C.S. Lewis, a great professor, writer, and he was a circuit speaker in England, he used to go around and preach this. He said this in his book, The Problem of Pain, and in some of his sermons, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And he would circuit preach this. He would go, you know, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And people would be like, that's awesome. It's so true. We can all relate on the pain level. We get it. We hear what you're saying, C.S. Lewis. We, you're so smart. You're such an intelligent man. Man, you just seem to have it all together. And then here in his upper, you know, single adult life, he meets an American. He's a British guy. He meets an American named Joy. He falls in love with her. He chooses, wow, can I risk loving? And he risks loving her. And they get married. And right after they get married, he finds out she 
and she finds out, she didn't know, has a terminal illness. And guess what? Pain became God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That he had to begin to come before God with his pain and say, God, I'm in such pain right now. I finally risk loving only to lose. And do I choose to continue to risk loving knowing that I might lose? And he chose yes. But in his writings back and forth with a friend, and as we can read these letters now, we begin to see him process that whole issue that I have gone out and I have preached to millions about the problem of pain. But now that I experience it firsthand right now, God is using it to get my attention. And he's humbling me and he's refining me. It was his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So let me ask you, in that most painful experience you're experiencing right now, are you listening? Is God getting your attention? 2 Corinthians 7, 9, uh, Paul again writing this corrective letter to this church says, I am glad, not because it hurt you, but because the pain turned you to God. He's saying, I have to correct you in these areas. I know it was painful for you to hear these things and this honesty and this truth, but I, I had to tell you these things, and I'm, I'm sorry that it hurt you, but I'm actually not sorry because it turned you to God. He's saying, I'm willing to allow you to be hurt so that you turn to God, and guess what? Jesus loves you like that. He allows you and I to take pain that we all experience in life. But you say, why doesn't God just wipe away pain? Why didn't he just get rid of it? That's heaven. He does. And the day is coming when you and I will go to heaven and there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. There will be no more tears. The old order of things has passed away. Oh, I long for that day. But it's not going to happen until you and I leave this earth. So while on this earth, we need to be in a position to let God transform our pain, the things that we experience. So what benefit came from the painful experience you went through? And when you're experiencing pain, do you draw closer to God or do you move away from God? Think about it. When you're in pain, do you move closer to God or draw away from him? Today's Father's Day. Years ago, my father, at the age of 56, got pancreatic cancer. And within, I don't know, he checked in the hospital and 21 days later he was gone. It was that quick. And I remember being in incredible pain because my dad was a good man. He was a rock in my life. He was such a great man. And in fact, I put a lot of my, my dependence for provision, my dependence for security, my dependence for trust and wise counsel. I put so much of that on my dad like a, a good son would do to a good dad, right? And then he dies. And I, I remember I'm, I'm serving as a youth pastor in Colorado at the time. And I remember just being so broken and so wounded. And I remember, like, I, I basically just stiff-armed God. And I, here I am being a youth pastor. But I, I didn't have, a, like, a dedicated quiet time with the Lord for, like, two months. Because I was numb. I was in pain. I was in this fog. It just hurt. I was so disappointed. And I didn't know how to handle it. So I stiff-armed him. And then the pain became so great that I couldn't stay where I was. and I couldn't fix it myself. My self-dependence wouldn't work. And so I ran to God in my pain. God, I need you. I don't know how to get beyond this grief. I don't know how to get beyond this hurt. To whom else will I go to find healing? It's to you, Lord. The one, the only one who can give me comfort. And that maybe through that comfort, I can extend that comfort, that hope to someone else, because I've received it firsthand. 
And God began to do that. And seven months later, we had a shooting at Columbine High School where we had a lot of kids hurt uh, who were shot but not killed. We, in our network, we had three kids killed. And suddenly it became apparent that this experience that I had gone through, my dad dying, it, God was teaching me a bunch of stuff. But suddenly I had opportunity to just keep my pain to myself or can I take the comfort I've received from God and now in this situation share it with other people in our community? We can take the comfort and bring good out of our pain. Did God cause that pain? No. Life is about loss, whether you're godly or not. But out of that pain, God could bring comfort for us that we extend and share with other people. So we run to him in our pain. So to help others, i got to be honest about five things. And they're there in your outline. Let's run through these. Number one, we can be honest about our feelings. Paul says, we have spoken frankly to you. We have opened our hearts wide. We've opened our hearts wide to you. And we basically go, today's Father's Day, and I, I love speaking to men. And i got to tell you, uh, men, when we talk about sharing our feelings, that's like foreign territory for a lot of us. Because when it comes to men, a lot of psychologists will say, well, the only time that men speak about their feelings is when it comes to food or sex. That's the time you'll know about men's feelings. But other than that, it, who knows? It might be completely foreign territory. And so we got to be, begin to open our, our hearts. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, we had a choice. I want to be frank with you. I want to be honest. In fact, what we did is we chose to open our hearts wide. And dads in this room, let me tell you for a minute, you've got a choice. There are times with your kids when you're closed off, when your heart is closed off to your kids. But there's other times when you choose. I'm going to open my heart wide. I'm going to open it to my children. I'm going to let them see. I'm going to stop trying to be like this perfect person. I'm just going to open my heart wide to my children. I'm going to engage with them. Well, what kind of setting do we as humans begin to Open our hearts wide with one another. Well, for a lot of us, it's in a community group setting. A lot of us, it's in a mentoring relationship. A lot of times, it's just with a friend over coffee or just interacting as you're watching the game. And you, just, you get that, but you have a choice. I always have a choice. Do I open my heart wide? And let me just say to the men in the room, a lot of times, we need to be more open about our feelings. What's going on the inside? One, so we could recognize it, but two, we have a choice to open our heart wide to other people. The second thing we need to be honest about is my faults. Galatians 6.5, Paul says, each of us must bear the faults and burdens of his own, for none of us is perfect. Why? Why do we need to open up to other people in appropriate ways about our faults? It's because we're approachable if we do that, right? If a person stands up and says, hey, I got it all together, you just uh, come on to me. And I'll tell you everything you need to know. All of us are going to be like, I don't want to go to you because I, I can't relate. You can't relate to me. I need you to be open with me. And once you're open with me, I go, oh, you struggle with that too? Wow, okay, your faults. They're approachable. No one's perfect. So we're open about our feelings, our faults. Third, my failures. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul again says, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul confessed that he, for a lot of his life, was a performer. That he, for a lot of his life, would step up and try to be legalistic and do the right thing. And he, for a lot of his life, was like a peace enforcer. He tried to be a peacekeeper. And what he did is, in fact, he said, listen, I'm a murderer. I held people's coats. I'm an accessory to murder. I held everybody's coats while they took rocks and stoned Stephen to death, one of the, one of the believers in the New Testament, one of the first martyrs. 
And they stoned the guy to death. He said, I'll be, in a sense, the designated driver. Let me hold your coat. Let me hold your coat. Let me hold on. I'll take care of these so that, you know, you can do what you need to do. And then I'll, I'll be the accessory to murder. Then he went on and said, you know, I'm not content with being a coat holder. I want to go on and I'm going to imprison people. And I'm going to go ahead and kill people who believe in Jesus Christ, who believe in the way he basically said, I was a peace enforcer. But then God broke into his world, shattered his existence, and said, Paul, I want to make you a peacemaker to receive grace and hope and now extend that to other people. For some of you, that's been your story. You would relate to saying, I'm the worst of sinners. And God's saying, good, because that's who I came to save. But now I want to make you a peacemaker, not a peace enforcer. So Paul confessed that why is it important to know that we're all sinners? You know, a lot of times when we share stuff in community group or other areas, uh, people will be like, I'll hear this statement. Wow, pastors struggle with that too? So I'm like, of course we do. I'm just as human as any other man in the room. I'm just as human as you. And so my job is, is to just be honest about my feelings and my faults and my failures. And it's like taking that pedestal that people put when someone stands up on the stage. My job is like kick that pedestal out. That's my job. And guess what? It's your job too. Positionally, as a boss, positionally as a dad, positionally, it's your job to take that pedestal that anybody puts you on and kick it out to be honest because it makes you approachable. Appropriate honesty, appropriate transparency, but honest so we kick that pedestal out, we get rid of it. That's your job, and there, you will hear the statement, wow, I thought you go to, don't you, or you're a Christian, right? You struggle with that too? Wow. Kick the pedestal out. Be honest about your feelings and your faults and your failures, but also your frustrations. So we just got back from Hawaii, and in Hawaii, the average speed limit is like 35 to 45 mile an hour, right? So all these bumper stickers say on the car say, drive aloha. And uh, I got to just be honest with you, I struggle driving aloha. <laughs> I'm like, 45 miles an hour, are you kidding me? The rental place gave us a Passat. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to see this place, I'm going to you know, drive a little bit. And, and I got to just tell you, like, I come up behind people and like, I have this sense of urgency, and, and which really means I'm impatient. And sometimes I want things to go at my pace of life and everybody else needs to move because I, I've got important things to do here, which really means I'm frustrated, I'm impatient, it, I'm trying to make life all about me. So on the way to church this morning, driving with my wife Heather, and uh, every now and then, by the way, we are in Hawaii, she'd just pat my arm and be like, Drive aloha. <laughs> I'm trying, you know. Trying to slow down, relax. I'm on vacation, right? Takes me a while to get there. Maybe you're the same. On the way to church this morning, there's this truck, and it's, it's, it's a, just a pickup, and it's slowly passing a big rig. Like, it's like, you know, going 56 miles an hour on, the, on I-5. And so I'm in behind him, and I look at the, at the you know, the, the back window of the pickup, and on one side, it's got like a little turtle, and the other side, it has a Hawaiian flower. So I reach over to Harry Tavern, I'm like, they're driving Aloha. You know? <laughs> Took him forever to pass that rig. Finally got around him, got off looking on my way, right? We get frustrated. We get to be honest about our frustrations in appropriate ways. Well, how do we normally express our frustration? Yeah, we just put it all out there on social networking, right? 
God says, I want you to share what you're learning because when you receive comfort from God, I want you to extend that to other people. And let me tell you, you can leverage social networking. You could be in church right now and God can be teaching you about your pain. And you could leverage that and you could tweet somebody. You could send a text to somebody. And I highly, by the way, encourage that because God oftentimes says, I want to work in you. And part of my peace and part of my comfort that I give you, I want you to give it to other people. So send it out there. We can be frustrated but how do we share frustrations appropriately? What do we normally do with frustration? We take it out on people we love the most. The people around us, maybe they have nothing to do with the frustration. But I'm taking my frustration from over here and I'm placing it now on you. You're the innocent parties, but you're just available and in the room right now. And so I might, that's the wrong way to handle frustrations. We need to be able to be honest about our frustrations, but handle it in appropriate ways. Romans chapter 7, Paul again, just being honest, says, I have the desire to do what is right, but I cannot carry it out. I keep on doing the evil I don't want to do. What's he saying? I keep sinning in my flesh, even though my spirit's redeemed by Jesus, and I don't want to do that anymore. He's saying, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to click on that. I don't want to, you know, read those things. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to speak like that. He's saying, I don't want to, you know, take it out of my children like that. None of the, I don't want to do that, but I end up doing it. He's being honest about his frustrations appropriately. So how do you and I be honest about our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups in a way that allows God to leverage it, to extend comfort to somebody else? It's okay to say, I'm frustrated. Uh, oftentimes there's a, there's a book called No Complaining Rule, and in that book they say, if you find yourself complaining, which, by the way, God is very against grumbling and complaining, and our culture is all about it, so I just want to let you know, the heart of God, he hates it, absolutely hates it. If you were to read your Facebook page and it's all a bunch of complaints and all a bunch of negativity and stuff, God hates that. But in the No Complaining Rule, this book, that he says, if you find yourself doing that, because we all do, right? So when I find myself complaining, it's like, I start to vent this thing, and then you write, but, you use what he calls the but rule. You use the word but, and you bring it back around to objectivity. I got so frustrated that the server did this to us at the restaurant, blah, 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 but you know what? There's a lot of times I received good service, and I don't even know what was going on in that server's life that day. See how you might use the but rule to begin to change the way you complain? Turn around into something good, and over time, you'll just realize I didn't need to complain in the first place. We're being honest about our frustrations. Kids, I lashed out at you that way, or I, I said this impatient, and I, you know, did this. I misunderstood you. Will you forgive me? How we're being honest about it. I was frustrated, but at the same time, I want to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. So we're honest about our frustrations. Next, honest about our fears. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I do admit that I have fears that when I come, you'll disappoint me, and I'll disappoint you, and in frustration... With each other, everything will fall to pieces. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I've written you this corrective letter about your life, but now I'm worried. I'm worried that when I come, you're going to disappoint me. You're going to be a disappointment to me. But not only that, but I'm going to be a disappointment to you. And then everything, this whole effort, is just all going to fall to pieces. He's, just, he's being honest about his fear. Why? Because if he keeps it all to himself, it doesn't help anybody, right? It's going to stay really strong. He's going to look at every statement when he comes to visit Corinth and that church. He's going to listen to every statement and be like, he's just going to validate. Yep, validate my fear. There it is again. Look at that. But because he's been honest with them, hey, I'm worried that you'll disappoint me. I'm worried that I'll disappoint you and that this whole effort will fail. They understand that he's coming from a place that he wants to be a peacemaker. 
And so they can say, yeah, we're, we're worried that we're going to disappoint you and that we hate that. And we don't want to, and we want this thing to work too. What's he doing? He's building a bridge. We hate to tell people what we're afraid of. We think it gives them the power, but the truth is every time you share a fear with somebody, it lessens the power of fear for you. When you disclose it and share that fear with somebody else, it actually lessens the amount. You say it out loud. It lessens the amount of fear that you experience yourself. The other thing it does is it encourages the other person. Oh, you feel afraid of that too? Paul's saying, I, I, I'm worried all this is going to fall apart. I'm worried that when, you, when, you come, when I come to your home, when I come to your, your city, and we begin to work on this, when we get in the same room with one another, I'm worried that I'm going to be a disappointment. I'm worried that you're going to be a disappointment, that the whole thing is going to fall apart. He's honest about that. But I need to learn to be honest about my fears, about my faults and my failures and my frustrations and my feelings. When I do that, I get healing and other people get healing. We begin to be honest with one another. So I want you to take a moment real quick and think about this. Think about the most significant pain in your life right now. That painful experience that you're dealing with right now. It might be in your past. It might be right now in your life. I want you to take some time during this sermon to consider that. How is God trying to get your attention? And I want you to take some time this week in your community group or with a trusted friend to talk that out a little bit. Maybe for you, you might need to journal a little bit. Maybe for you, you might need to just pull your car over to the side of the road and think about it or take 15 minutes out of your day and be like, okay, God, I'm in some pain right now. How are you trying to get my attention? Will you watch this video? I was born in uh, 1961 in Fresno, California. I lived in a typical family, had a happy childhood. One day when I was about 12 years old, my parents called me in and surprised me and told me that they were getting a divorce. I did not expect it. It uh, crushed me. My mom and my sister and I ended up moving into a house away from my father. When this happened, I tended to blame God. I was, you know, 12. I didn't know what was going on. I thought, why would God let my life, my family get destroyed like this? And I turned my back. I actually decided that I no longer was a believer. That was the beginning of a long struggle. In uh, junior high school, it didn't take me long to realize that my mother didn't have as much control over me as my father did. She was working and she wasn't, she was kind of distant at that time anyway. So I was started experimenting and th with things that really were not healthy for me. Uh, discovered drinking, discovered cigarettes, things like that, and uh, got in with a bad crowd. Uh, got into college, was doing fairly well. The big mistake I made is I joined a fraternity. I spent most of my time drinking and chasing girls in, in, in college instead of working like I was supposed to be. Uh, eventually got offered a job up here in Sacramento and took it. I met a woman not long after I moved up here who had two little twin girls, started dating her. Uh, she was also a heavy drinker. We ended up getting married. Turned out to be kind of a, a rough marriage. Uh, she decided she was going to try and quit drinking. Um, I didn't consider myself as to having a problem at the time. Decided not to drink at home to help her. And uh, so I became a binge drinker. Drink when I was on the road, traveling, things like that. But we were tempted to raise those two little twin girls who, had, as they were growing up, we ended up having another girl um, who was 10 years younger than the twins. So we had three girls. 
I had my family, stereotypical family back, thought everything was going well, but the marriage started to deteriorate. A lot of it had to do with, with, with drinking and things like that. I was really struggling when I actually came to Sun Grove. My then wife and my kids were coming to Easter, and I never went to church, but I decided to come. The pastor announced that he was going to start a series on relationships the following week. So I thought, what the heck, I'll come and check it out. And uh, it was actually a little spooky for me at first because I was sitting there and I felt like I was the only person in the room. He, he was talking about the issues I was going through, which prompted me to come again the following week, and I kept coming. And I kept getting a little bit surprised by how much it applied to me. In fact, it scared me a little bit that maybe God was talking to me, a God that I had turned my back on at a very young age, and started to soften me a little. This kept happening. I made it through this series, and uh, the pastor offered to uh, counsel my wife and I, and that wasn't working. And so he actually was actually a big help of counseling me during, during my divorce. I got invited to join a, a, a new members group here at Sun Grove and went to that. And working through that, I actually opened my heart back up and I actually became a Christian again and started uh, a whole new way of looking at things. And one of the things that had been my problem is I always looked at everything would be solved by myself. I couldn't rely on anybody else. I didn't believe that, I didn't believe in a God. I believed in everything was something I would be able to solve. And um, that wasn't working for me. And I suddenly realized that I did have somebody else to rely on. I could rely on God. And I had not been able to do that. It was still difficult for me because I would still want to control everything. But managed to get a new outlook on things. Was very active in recovery. Met Betsy. We were introduced by some friends in recovery. And uh, started dating, eventually got engaged, met with the pastor at Sun Grove and said, you know, you guys are looking to celebrate recovery and not realizing when you ask a pastor to do that, you might get hooked, asked to lead it. Um, but we actually put together a leadership team and started to celebrate recovery. And one of the things I learned from celebrate recovery is, is I had focused entirely on alcohol. It was the only issue I was focusing on and came here and we had all this material and realized that this is a program for people with a variety of hurts, habits, and hangups. And I had uh, struggles with other issues, one of which was eating. I had lost a lot of weight during my divorce and gained more of it back. Was struggling with food, uh, struggling with anger, things like that, and was able to work on those issues and celebrate recovery and start making some headway there too. I really, really, really avoided admitting the problems that I had. And then um, once I got to the point of admitting them, things changed. You need to maybe think about stepping forward and making a decision because once that happens, the freedom starts. It, it did for me. I'm so grateful for Brian and Betsy Chick who lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And again, it's really for hurts, habits, and hangups of all sorts. And uh, people, you know, are just sharing the comfort they receive from God as they're being real about those things. And so we need to share uh, those. But not only do we share with people how pain got my attention, but if you're taking notes today, we also share what I learned while healing. We got to share, there were some things in the healing process, and during that I learned some things. And the first one is I learned to depend on God's love. Learned to depend on God's love. Paul says this, we were crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. 
We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. Why? For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. And he did help us and saved us from a terrible death. Yes, we expect him to do it again and again. We learn to depend on God's love. What typically happens when we take a matter out of God's hands and we put it in our own? Right? We try to fix ourselves, we try to control ourselves, and we find that it gets too painful and that we can't fix ourselves and that we, we can't. We, we need to depend on God's love. If you ask my wife, how's Dave changed over the years, she would tell you, Dave has grown more dependent on God because of his pain. That that's a good that is coming out of the painful experiences that have been a part of my life. That we learned we've got to depend on God and his love. When we resist... Depending fully on God, we just stall the process. Pain makes us learn to depend on God's love. Secondly, I learned to follow God's word. Psalm 119, 71 says this, It was the best thing that could have happened for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. Isn't that true? That in our pain, we finally come to God and we go, God, I've been doing life my way, and it's led to hurt and habits and hangups. But maybe there's some wisdom to doing it your way. And so maybe I'm going to pay attention to your word, pay attention to your laws. And, and, you know, it's why we turn to the Bible more frequently when we're in a crisis as compared to when we're not in a crisis. We're in a crisis, we turn to it more frequently. But, of course, we'd say, wouldn't it be wiser? There is, in fact, much benefit that God will be strengthening us and preparing us and forming work in us as we have a daily time to read his word and to be in his word. He's actually doing a work in us that enables us to handle a crisis that will certainly come. We need that time of strengthening. It's not just learning about God when you read the Bible. You are preparing your life to be in dependence and following God's word. Third, I learned I need other people. 1 Corinthians 11, 11 says, remember that in God's plan, men and women need each other. We do. We need each other. That God has created male and female in his image is how God created them. And that there are certain things that are revealed about the image of God when you're around men. And you're going to say, God, I understand you better because of what I see. A part of your character and your nature is in men. And I'm going to appreciate that. And there's other parts. I go, God, part of your image, your character, your nature is created into women. And that there's going to be some differences there that I need to relate to. And I'm going to appreciate that about the big picture of God and who you are. Because of the image that we see in women, we need to see God in whole. And sometimes, I mean, just to be honest, we want to say we don't need other people. There are times that, uh, I'll be honest with you, Heather and I, guess after a long day, and we're like, man, I don't want to go to community group tonight. Just being honest, like, like, I just don't feel like going to community group tonight. Which is bad because we host it. (laughs) Right? It's coming to our house. And then what happens, we go to the community group, we have people over, we did, and at the end of the night, we're like, man, that was the best. I am so glad we did that. But there's all this, like, resistance up ahead of time on first. And then, uh, why? Because we need each other. We need other people. We do. We want to multiply our groups, but we also want to extend them to reach other people. Why? Because we need other people. So we learn that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 says, Two people are better than one. If one falls down, the other can help them up. But it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because only life alert is there to help them up. Right? Mrs. Fletcher takes a digger and, uh, you know, I've fallen. I can't get up. Right? Well, no, it's not life alert. It says, no, 
two is better than one because if one person falls, no one's, if they're alone, no one's there to help pick them up. That we need other people in our lives. Of course, we embarrass our boys because we, I personally love Ecclesiastes 4.11, which is not going to be on the screen, but it says, uh, for when two lie down together, they keep warm, for how can one keep warm alone? And we say that thing in front of my boys, and they're like, gross, dad, mom, stop, no, you know, they just hate that kind of thing. We like it. There are good benefits to following God's word, to getting married his way, and experiencing, the, you know, a commitment of a vow relationship with each other. That's a good thing, and there are intrinsic benefits that come along with it. So we begin to share those things with other people, what we learned while healing. Number three, we learn how God can bring good out of bad. And I've explained this a little bit, but it says this in Romans 8, 28. Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You ever heard a person say, oh, it's just going to make sense, or, you know, God just, he allows everything because it's all for our good. That's not what this verse is saying. So you're telling me that God allowed abuse to happen because it's for my good? No, that's not what this verse is saying. And people have abused, in the church, people have abused this verse. If you ever heard teaching out that way, it's been an abuse of this verse. Because I want you to circle the operative word in the verse, and that's in. Circle the word in, if you've got it on your outline or if you've got it in your Bible. He's saying this, we know that in all things, in other words, in the good, the bad, the ugly, the disappointing, the brutal, the painful, in all the things that happen to people, who sin against other people and who get sinned against themselves and experience life's losses, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He's saying, I will take what is otherwise just negative and bad and disappointing and painful and brutal and such a loss, and it will just be that. Or, because I love you and you're called according to my purpose, I will take that awful experience. And will it still be awful? Yeah but I'm going to bring some good out of it. You're going to be refined in it. You're going to be healed in it, and you're going to extend that healing to other people. So we need to share with them, listen, here's how God took my pain and made some good come out of it. You're not putting on a happy face or trying to be overly Christian or anything. You're just being real because of that. Genesis 50, 20 says, they intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. This is the story of Joseph. Joseph had a bunch of brothers, and his brothers were jealous of him, and so they, they basically sold him into slavery. So here's a guy who's got, I got all my, my family sold me into slavery. So he goes, and he's a slave, and he's working as a slave, and he's doing a good job as a slave, but he gets falsely accused. Then he goes from being a slave to going into prison. His life is getting worse. Then he goes from being in prison, he goes off to an Egyptian prison. And he's in there, and he's forgotten, and he's ignored, and he's in there for years, and he's crying out to God. And God's blessing all the people around Joseph. Like Joseph is there, and the scriptures keep saying, and the jail like, got organized and better because Joseph was there. Like God was blessing everybody else, but guess what? Joseph's in jail. And Joseph probably sitting there going, God, when are you going to bless me? Come on, do you see the pain? I mean, this hard circumstance. He eventually gets released from jail. He serves in Pharaoh's court. He moves all the way up to being the second in command under Pharaoh over the entire nation. He gets wisdom from God, and he prepares the Egyptian people that a famine is coming, and they store away food. Well, that famine hits. His family from Israel now comes to Egypt, and his own brothers who sold him into slavery stand before him, and they don't recognize him because he's, you know, walking like an Egyptian. And he looks different, and so he's grown up. 
and his own, but he recognizes them. And these are some of the family members that he loves, that he cares for, but also some of the family members that he has got something with them, that he knows that, all oh, you know, these are the people who betrayed me, that they owe me. There's a debt-to-debtor relationship with those family members, and you have them, and I have them, and you know who those people are in your life. And so the bolt, they come together, and they're in front of him, and he recognizes them, and the light bulb goes on, and he realizes All my life experience is for this moment when I can now bless those who have antagonized me and I can bless those whom I love and I can extend forgiveness because God has comforted me and he's taken me out of the depths and he has elevated me and he's taken my hurts and habits and habits and he's elevated me and now I can take and extend that to other people. And so he says that statement, they intended it to harm me. But God intended it for good. He reveals who he is to his brothers. They're worried that their heads are going to get lopped off. And he says, no, 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 no. You intended it for evil. But look how God took awful circumstances and right now in this moment has brought good. God can do that in your life. He can do that in mine. When's the last time you thank God for the painful experiences in your life? Not just the help he gave that got you through it. But when's the last time you thanked him for the painful experiences in your life? Those tough times that help you and I grow more and more in his likeness. Those tough seasons we don't want to repeat. So we need to share how God can bring good out of bad. And last, we need to share how Jesus gives me hope to change. It says this in 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Again, the reason for the hope that you have, that's it. What's the reason for the hope? The reason for the hope is how Jesus gives me hope to change. Jesus is the reason. That's the hope when, when that, hope, uh, that hope is there and when that hope helps us, it comes from someone who's been there. When you received it the first time, you received it from someone maybe who's been there and they said, here's my experience. You go, I can relate to that. And so they said, I want to take the comfort and the hope that I have in Jesus, and I want to share that with you. And you said, I heard it. I listened. I responded. I want to come into that relationship with Jesus, and now I experience that hope myself. God now wants to take you and say, now you share that. See, God wants you and I to be a hope dispenser. We've all gone to the bathroom and put our hand in a little thing, and then the little soap comes out, right? That's a soap dispenser. But see, what happens in our culture is there's people we rub up against all the time, and they're saying they don't even know they have their hands out. And you're basically going, I'm, I'm the hope dispenser. And they come into interaction with you. And so in your words and your actions, you're the one. God's saying, let's squeeze it out. Squeeze it out. Let them know the hope of Jesus. You're the hope dispenser. So every person that you love on that is so far away from God that you just say, I, you know, I, I'm going to love you right where you're at. I'm a hope dispenser to you. And those people in your workplace and those people in your family and those people in your home, those people in every area that you, God is saying, you are my hope dispenser. You don't have to be perfect right now. You don't have to have it all together. But will you please just share the comfort that I've been giving to you with somebody else? I want you to be a hope dispenser. So this week, when you go washing your hands, you grab that bar of soap, you push on the little soft soap, you put your hand under the dispenser. It is your daily reminder this week that God has washed your hands when your hands are out. And he's saying, be a hope dispenser to somebody else. Why? It's the sharing choice. I choose to yield myself to God's will to share through my words and actions 
the hope that I've received through Christ. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.